Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Masculine tops, power bottoms, butch girls, femme boys, bears, otters, unicorns. There's no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl features first-person stories that explore the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex, the embarrassing moments we'd like to forget, and the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity because we all know how much we love to talk about ourselves. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Hey, fruities. It's Dave with Fruit Bowl. Welcome to this episode. Today, I have my guest, Mikey. Hello. How are you? I am doing Perfect. Oh, awesome. I love perfection. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, yeah, we're coming at you from my walk-in closet slash sound studio. And... It's early in the morning on a Saturday, so pardon me if I don't have quite the uh, agility that I usually have. <laughs> I have the advantage of waking up and driving over here, so I kind of oh, right. wake up and it's a beautiful fall-feeling day. There's yeah. like crispness in the air. It, so. it does sort of feel different. Um, we're going to get to John's interview in a little bit, but before we do, I'm going to ask our lunchtime poll for this episode. And once again, if you want to join in on the discussion you can tweet at me at fruit bowl pod and tell me your answer um and let's see here okay i was walking my dog this morning and i thought of the lunchtime poll idea <laughs> unless you have a recommendation for a lunchtime poll i have an interesting one maybe as well okay you tell me yours first okay i think mine would be a tongue in your ear Yes or no. Mm. I feel like that's a very powerful thing that people either, like, melt or they're just like, get get out of there. Okay. Yeah. Let's do two. Let's do yours and mine. Because okay. I think awesome. we both have ones that are kind of quick answers. Yeah. What is your... Okay, I'll tell you my answer to your question. Okay. I actually have a variation on a tongue in the ear, which I choose to do with partners sometimes, mm. which is instead of shoving my tongue down an ear person's ear, I actually nibble on their earlobe. Yeah. I feel like that is more teasing and playful and a little less intrusive. In, intrusive yeah. Because sometimes, yeah, people, you don't really quite know what the reaction is going to be with the tongue in the ear. Absolutely. Even though I, I think it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I never quite know. And it seems like the, the little uh, teasing nibble on the earlobe gets a better reaction yeah. consistently uh. for me. It's at least a nice warm-up yes. than just, like, diving in tongue-first into someone's ear. Yeah. Um, I would say yes, especially um, even though it's, like, the single most powerful. I'd say it's more powerful than almost any kind of penetration. It takes over your brain. There's literally everything else leaves your head. You can't be thinking about anything else in the world when all of a sudden a tongue is jamming in your ear. Like, you were just <laughs> at that person's mercy right. and um, exploring, feeling what they want you to feel. Mm -hmm. So it's... It's kind of scary how powerful it is, but it's still, yeah. So you like it when people do it to you, right? Yeah. 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 Do you do it to other people? 
Not too often. Okay. Very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. I always think that's interesting when it comes to these kinds of small things that we do in sex. (laughs) Like, are we the one who does it or we like it done to us? I have to be in a specially dominant mood to do that. So if the chemistry is just right and I'll I'll hit it and and get in there. It is fun scenes when you can feel every muscle in their body all intense and their mm-hmm. back arch and everything else and you can tell like it does often catch people off guard oh. which is probably the most fun thing about it. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, my lunchtime pull idea came like I said this morning when I was walking my dog and I was uh, behind this kind of hot guy who was walking his dog and he's wearing shorts and I realized that like looking at his legs, like, how much of a leg man I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I love a good meaty thigh, a good calf. Mm, all about those gams. Yeah, the the, the ankles, like, mm. just everything about the leg. But I'm, I'm all for butts, too, but if I had to pick, like, a preferred, yeah, body part, it would be the legs. So mm-hmm. my lunchtime poll is, what is your favorite body part? Which is the one that really is, like, the deal maker. Oh, wow. What a good question. <laughs> Uh, I would probably have to say thighs. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I'm gay, so being into men, seeing like some manly thighs is yeah. such a huge turn on. And if there's some kind of like going through Instagram or whatever else, and there's some thigh shots, yeah. like it's, I'm just drooling. Like, what's in between the thighs? Like, okay, whatever. But <laughs> those thighs, especially if they're hairy and bulgy and a little bit muscular, that's, mm-hmm. um, did you, my fancy. Did you see this? <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean, obviously, since I'm a leg man, I love the fight, too. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, for me, it's like also the calf and the, the, the ankle. Oh. Which are, like the whole package. Yeah. I love a good leg. So cool. I've learned so much about you. <laughs> Already. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we're going to listen to John's interview now. And uh, when that's done, we'll come back and talk about it. I am 44, and originally I am from Hayden Lake, Idaho. So I was probably six years old. Uh, it was in, in the, basically what became my hometown, and even then I was into older men, so the, the nine-year-old up the street. So I think like he was aware of sex, and so... I can't remember how it all came together, but I remember a lot of like rubbing and grinding with him, all with clothes on. But uh, it, we we like broke into his mom's uh, uh, Kama Sutra book or what something like that it was like it was some book on sex, you know, furtively gl- looking through it while uh, while she was elsewhere in the in the duplex um, or in the evenings when I stayed the night. So that was like my, probably my, my grand understanding that people got naked and did stuff, even though I wasn't quite sure what all of that was. We took turns being the girl, you know, like one of us would be on, on our back, legs open, grinding up against one another. We would take turns doing that. Um, I mean, I remember having like first erection was at three. Like, I remember, I, 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 at the time, I didn't know what it was. All I know is it felt awesome. And then um, it was the same thing with this with this guy. I mean, there was there were times where I kind of felt a little weird about it. Like, I, I didn't have a, a reference for it. But for the most part, I'm like, 
yeah, sure, rub up against me that way. Visiting my grandparents, uh, they had this kind of daylight basement. Not quite like what we would think of where people would, would you know, have a room. It was full on basement, it was storage. And uh, my sister and I would rummage through there during this, our summers there. And at one point in time, I found the stack of Playboys or whatever, whatever it was. And so I had this immediate like access to naked people. I don't know if, I don't remember if any of them were actually full on having intercourse. I don't know if that was allowed in the magazines at that time or in that, in those, that particular, um, publication. But that was when I stumbled across it. That was when I'm like, always sneaking down to the basement for no good reason. Uh, and at one point in time, I noticed that they had been relocated. So I think, uh, I think one of the grandparents caught on. And again, I was, I was probably eight or nine. So it was, it was a few years yet ahead of full on masturbation, but it was definitely like the, the feeling I got from looking at it was very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And though probably no small, small part of that was like, this is naughty. <laughs> I think that probably I was, I was in the sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, something like that, around 11 or 12. And, um, you know, grinding on the pillow was nothing new. That had been going on for some time. And, but then one time I'm like, this feels suddenly very intense. And I, I kind of freaked out. I'm like, this is it. I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack because I shouldn't be doing this. And so I stopped and I'm like, kind of the palpitations settled. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. I've read about this. This might, let's see where this goes uh, to the point where um, like my pillow, if it could talk, would be coming to me with like, paternity suit me in the pillow and, and until at some point in time I'm like this is gonna probably get kind of obvious and then I I like well let's try my hand and and then that like oh this is much easier to aim <laughs> so yeah I, I mean I uh, it was me and my younger sister and my parents were not I mean they had tried having the where baby come from conversation with me when I was real little before my sister was born and I wanted nothing to do with it. I'm like, I, I just want to go to bed. I just want to go to bed now. I don't want to hear about this from you. Um, so after that, I'd had, I, I knew enough just from picking things up at school and uh, reading the reading the appropriate young fiction, like Dear Margaret, <laughs> Dear God, It's Me, Margaret, like that, that type of stuff uh, to kind of figure out that there were, there were other things that were eventually going to happen. Growing up in North Idaho in the early 80s, where there were a lot of churchy other kids, um, I didn't know how to articulate things, what I was feeling, um, in, in necessarily the most honest of ways. But I do remember the f my first crush was uh, Rick Schroeder on Silver Spoons. <laughs> like, I thought he was cute. And, um, in, you know, in the way that a nine or 10 year old might look at, you know, somebody who's 13, 14. And um, 
I just remember in my head thinking, well, if I was a girl, I would totally want to date him. But you have to have the caveat of if I were. My first time. <sighs> Which one? <laughs> There's... <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, uh, legitimately, uh, me and the kid on, you know, the street where I grew up, um, that was, that was first time. Like the, this was me exploring that two people could have some, have physical pleasure together. Uh, it was in high school where, um, a buddy of mine was staying the night cause we were going to go camping that, that weekend. Or like we we're gonna take off first thing in the morning to this campground we knew about and he and i got talking about like we were discussing the possibilities of bisexuality and i had known that he and another friend of ours had gotten drunk at the end of the school year <laughs> i was i was i was just at home i couldn't go out i was not i was i'd gotten in trouble so i wasn't allowed to go out on the last night of school but they had gone out and i'd heard them touch on some subjects of what might have happened when two young 16 year olds are drunk by themselves and um i just remember like the worst fomo ever like why why did i have to be grounded that night um so he and i had talked to we got on the discussion of of that and, to, and then like that that evening while we're in my bedroom we got into the kind of like mutual masturbation um, then we took, and we both came and we're both like, we're just not going to talk about this. This is, you know, this just, it happened, but we're going to move. But I knew I wanted it to happen again. And, um, that we got out to the campground and at some point in time we were like, yeah, maybe we should try something else. So we took a hike away from the campground, left uh, another friend back at the campground. We're going to go for a hike. Bye. Um, and we flipped a coin uh, to uh, to give the first blowjob. I lost. I didn't care. I just got on my knees and took his, you know, took his pants down and started giving him a blowjob out in the middle of the woods. And because I remember like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm doing this. And I'm like, Okay, this is not so bad. This is <laughs> I kind of I kind of like this. So that was the you know that was the um, real that like the first time really having sex of any type. I, I'm trying to remember. It's a little fuzzy now in the the order of things. I think we did at one point like during the summer. His parent his parents had gone through a divorce, and at one point his um, his dad had moved out and his mom was gone for some reason. So we. I got, we snuck out of his house. We kind of were wandering around in the fields near his place and fooled around. And then we came back and we were going to try anal sex. Like, I didn't know what to think of it. I'm like, oh, well, let's give it a try. You know, um, I mean, people do it for a reason. And the one thing that did not occur to us was lube. So we're both trying. We're both open to the, to the you know, we both took turns. We're like, this isn't going anywhere. And I'm like... You know, just push harder. And he's like, okay. And then the same way, it's like, just push harder. Like, and I do remember one of us said, like, how do gay guys do this? You know, <laughs> the notion of lube wasn't even there. So that was sort of a failure there. Um, after that, uh, I got a girlfriend. 
and um, this girl I had known for years. We went to a prom together, and then we um, I basically started dating. Or I took her to homecoming. That's what it was. I took her to homecoming, and then we started dating after that. And um, eventually, we had sex. And um, I thought, okay, cool, I'm cured. And whatever that was, it's you know, it's in the past. So was not in the past. Uh, but you know, for the for the first time, it was novel and it was fun and it was socially appropriate, so to speak. You know, when you're talking underage sex, um, and contrary to what a lot of gay men say, it was it was better some of the, than some of the gay sex I've had. I mean, it's there's a fairly mechanical process to it, and you know, you get off. And I've had I've had some disappointments uh, with men, so. You know, all in all, it wasn't wasn't the worst thing ever, um, but it did not stop me from wanting to be with men. And then it was I, I, she and I went for like three years. We lived together, didn't live together. We split up, and then um, a few like a year or so later, I met my first boyfriend. And um, the f well before before it was actually boyfriend. It was like full a first date, like the day long date. And um, ended up at his place and did what I knew. Like I knew, I knew oral. I could do oral. You know that was definitely. But then it was like he, you know, he's want to have anal sex, and uh, and he was totally for bottoming. And I'm like, okay, that's good because I have no experience doing that. <laughs> and he'd had, he'd been uh, out-ish. He'd had a boyfriend once before. He so he'd had some experience. Um, so that was the first time where. I got to fuck a guy. Um, we, over the, about, we were together not quite a year, and a couple of times I'm like, do you want to do that to me? Like, I had my hesitation, and he goes, yeah, you probably, probably just hurt you a lot, so I'm fine with this. So it was easily a couple of years before I actually tried bottoming for somebody. Um, it was some guy who had come up from Boise, to Spokane, and he was not particularly well endowed, which was fine for that that for that for that <laughs> for that experiment. And uh, so I was twenty three when I did that. So I would say those are probably the big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was pretty patient. Yeah. Like, uh, um, he knew that I. I mean, I had I picked up a toy mm. on a like on a trip. And so I'd had some like practice with that, uh, and he was smaller than the toy, um, so he was he was pretty patient about it because he knew that this was the first time where like I was not going to be one hundred percent in control of the situation, and all in all it was you know it wasn't a terrible experience, but it wasn't it wasn't what I was expecting like based on what I had seen other people experience like. Wait a minute! This is supposed to be better. That I'm supposed to like stars and explosions and like this is just mostly okay. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly do not think I have a best move. I just have moves, and they're best depending on who they're with. When I'm getting physical, I like the intention is probably sex. My move is start testing all the buttons and figure out which one the guy responds to the best. Um, because whatever whatever we end up doing, I just want to make, I get off 
on them getting off. And so, like, I've got a whole series of things like go for the neck, go for the nipples, you know, make out, you know, touch, feel, look for, look for all the spots that kind of make them tense up. And then when we're fucking, it's just a matter of, like, check speed, check angle, check, you know, <laughs> like, I, uh, uh, oh fuck buddy and I he he knows he can count on me like slowing down and getting really shallow and then when he's just kind of off guard I just plowed into him and he loves it I mean it, it, I, I think it, take, it takes him off guard and it you know it's that the, I guess the equivalent of getting spanked like there's probably a level of discomfort but the excitement of, of that situation so I mean like I wouldn't say it's a signature move, but it's like any. It's one of those ones that I try to, to sit there and say, you know, do they like it or not? But ultimately, it's really about finding out what what the person likes who I'm with. Who I'm with. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the right guy. I mean, so, some are like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like, you have to give me warning before that. But like, I have at least one friend who will. A guarantee will just he'll yelp and he'll sit there and say, "I hate you. I'll do it again." <laughs> do not undervalue <laughs> good lube. <laughs> Seriously, good lube, and um, learn about cleaning your butt way earlier <laughs> and yeah yeah i would say that that's it because the to me sex has generally been kind of easy it's like i've joked that if it had been legal i would have gladly been a sex worker when i was younger you know and, and to this day like i can do this you know <laughs> it's all the mental and emotional stuff that goes around it that that i wish i had learned earlier i came out i was baby gay in the era of um, Abercrombie and Fitch, and I am not nothing like that. Like the, you know, six foot tall, swimmer's build, blue eyes, eight inches uncut. You know, none like that. None of that applies to me. And but it was a, it was a standard that was kind of devastating to my ego. And it, eventually, those sort of weird expectations drove me to lower my standards for what I was willing to put up with to the point of putting me into an abusive relationship. Like I was with somebody who was mentally, emotionally, and physically abusive, but I was utterly convinced that I was, I couldn't do better for a long time. So I would definitely go back and say, don't get an ego about this, but you're worth more. And time will show that like, you know, just because you know you're 20 something and and not all the boys are flocking to you doesn't mean anything because it's personal experiences i'd rather grow into my looks than grow out of them yeah literally everybody is somebody's type there's every every person on there there's somebody out in the world who wants them more than anybody else and you don't need to necessarily find that person but they represent a part of a spectrum so it's like my my 20s the friends in my 20s 
we're all about adjusting our bodies. Like, they, like oh, you've got to dress this way. You got your hair has to be right. You've got to, you know, got to get those abs. And for some people, it's easy. For some people, it's not. And um, it's just creates that. Uh, it, it, the friends I have who wish they had body hair, like, like it. it they're never going to grow body hair. It's just, it's not in their genetics. And to sit there and put that much pressure on themselves. If the guy only wants you for body hair, then he doesn't really want you. Uh, yeah, it was because I, I did the whole body shaving type stuff because, but the, it was a, it was a real interesting turnaround. It's like I'd moved to Seattle and I'd been here for a couple of months and I was on some, you know, it was, was gay.com or something like that. And chatting with some guy who told me flat out he says i only let, only want to hook up with guys who have you know have chest hair and i'm like well shit i just shaved three days ago like <laughs> uh, this is not gonna work like it grows back he says you know contact me when it has <laughs> Goosebumps. Mm. Mm. I love his voice. Yeah. It's what about so his voice? I was just kind of deep and rumbly, and I just also have a little crush on him anyway. Right. Yeah. He's very cute. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm posting pictures of the interviewees on my Patreon, so if people want to know what people look like, they can <laughs> they can pay a monthly fee to yeah. do it. <laughs> um, yeah. No, John's super sweet, very sexy, and... and I think his interview says a lot about him as a person yeah. and, and his his evolution. Um, Can I tell you a secret? Yes. Um, John was one of the first guys to ever top me. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was a total top for years after I came out. And he's so charming, has that daddy energy and all that, that yes. uh, we ended up fooling around. And what he says in the interview, like, completely aligns with my experience. All right, so he's not just talking. <laughs> there's, there's truth in the advertising. Yeah, That's encouraging. Um, I did not know that until just now. Um, you can confirm with us, then, his move, which, which I'm fascinated by. His move is one where it's not a, one specific move, but it's something where he'll sort of take stock of his partner and sort of test things out as he goes in the early stages. Is that in such a subtle way that I actually enjoy it? Yeah. I, when I bought them, I actually generally don't like a top checking in because mm. if they're worried, if you're both worried about each other's pleasure too much, instead of just being in the moment, it can kind of take you out of it. Yeah. Um, and someone's like, Oh, are you, are you getting close? You know, how are you feeling? And all this, it can really take me out of sex. And I love that he has this all his own personal observation. You don't even know is happening. And when he's talking about, you know, chain, um, checking his speed, checking his tempo, seeing exactly what you like and what angle. And it's, it's really impressive. And my thought of listening to it is like, what a good top. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there should be more tops that are like that. You can do some real damage if you're an, a top who's kind of clueless about your partner and reading signs and knowing what to do or what not to do when. Um, Especially yeah. if someone's not used to bottoming very much. There's a high level of patience you have to have and mm -hmm. getting them comfortable and into the moment. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a true skill. I've I've done that once or twice in my sexual career, broken in a bottom. Yeah. And and it does require a lot different strategy to somebody who's like a power bottom who's like 
on their game and totally knows all the ropes. <laughs> yeah. I know a few times so they really enjoyed that kind of single plunge surprise of like just plunging in hard and watching a, a bottom kind of the surprise and maybe even a little bit of struggle in their eyes and that kind of dynamic. Yeah. And I like that he approaches it in such a healthy way of like he he's not starting off with that. It's right. like deep into sex when things are going really well and he's already into it and then it's just kind of a smaller version of that plunge and watching their surprise and delight. And yes. Yeah. If 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 he had like a singular move it would be the shallow fucking and then the deep plunge. Yeah. And I will I'm a little embarrassed <laughs> to admit this, but after John's interview, I just started trying that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I'm like, this is kind of a fun move. Because you don't want every single thrust to be the same. Right. Because after a while, your bottom sort of gets used to it. And sometimes the rhythm can be fun. Like, you get into a rhythm yeah. um, of, of maybe the top plunging and the bottom pushing back that yeah. that can be fun but like to mix it up and to kind of catch the bottom a little bit off guard is yeah. is fun that's those eyes widen just a hair as they look back at you <laughs> right and i like how he describes the one partner he has who's like oh you bitch like, do it again <laughs> I love that that's cute um Another thing John has in common with a lot of stories I hear is how when he first started having sex, they had, and they wanted to try bottoming, they didn't yet know the benefits of lube. Yes. And I'm just like, I feel like I should make a public service announcement (laughs) about lube for like younger gays to just sort of introduce the idea. I jerked off relentlessly as a, as a kid, and I did not discover lube either, and my poor dick was in tatters <laughs> growing up, and I, I had to, I probably years of trying to jerk off without it before I discovered it, so yeah. I feel like that would be a good PSA to send out to yeah. my, my younger self back in time. <laughs> I mean, even now, I still jerk off without lube when I'm just doing solo. Um, I guess because I've, I've perfected it for myself, but yeah. like, and I also don't like a lot of cleanup because yeah. I'll jerk off before I go to bed. Yeah. A lot of times I don't want to get up and have to wash everything off. So, And there's a way to do it without lube that's not going to leave your dick in tatters. But you don't know that when you're just starting out. Like The concept of using spit, I think, had not oh, right. occurred to me. So mm-hmm. it was like a totally like dry, just like hand-on dick experience. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're going to start a fire like two wood sticks <laughs> rubbing against each other. <laughs> <laughs> but, but now when you jerk off alone, you, you still use lube? No, I use spit most of the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Which is sufficient. Yeah. Yeah, does the job. Okay. I'm the same. I don't like the cleanup of all the lube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> spit does clean up easier. How about during sex? Does spit ever suffice for you? No. Really? No. I can't imagine doing it without lubricant. What? Wait, sometimes you're a spit guy? I would say a good one-third of the time. Wow. I do a spit. But is this when you're a top? Um, more when I'm a bottom. Okay. Yeah, like bottoming with spit under the right conditions. when It totally when works out. the top who's fucking you will use spit, Yeah, that's enough. Okay, yeah, I couldn't do that. Under some circumstances. Okay, yeah. Other times, your your body's just like, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope, let's get some lube. <laughs> That's a really interesting point, which is that even if you're experienced, sometimes 
things are different with different partners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or just one particular day of the week. Your body feels different. Mm-hmm. Maybe you haven't drank enough water that day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, like, I ate Chipotle the day before, and your whole system's angry. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're just, like, dehydrated. But but I think it's easy sometimes to just think it's going to be the same every time with the same partner, regardless of the time of day or whatever, and that's just not the case. Well, yeah, he'd said that, John, when he's talking about his, like, iterative you know, three-year-old, six-year-old, 11-year-old, finally got to the end when he finally bought him. I think he said it was 23 or mm-hmm. so. And um, in, he said it, the guy, you know, wasn't, I think, said especially well in doubt. Yeah. And he's like, no stars or explosions. And that <laughs> it's so funny. I can picture having those experiences myself, even now, with a particular guy and just, you have sex and you're like, okay, well, I guess that's done and that happened. And mm-hmm. there, were, there were definitely no stars and explosions, but you had this interaction. And to me, it's amazing how different bottoming is. Uh, Being on the top side versus the bottom side. The top side, it feels different. Mm -hmm. But the bottoming side, the spectrum of different and what Mm. you can feel is so massive. And this mind-shattering intrusion inside your entire body of just taking you over. Or such uncomfortable thing, you're gripping the blankets. Versus, oh, I guess they came and... Uh, yeah. That's over, right? This is such a huge spectrum of sensation. And and do you think that that spectrum is a result of size and girth, or is it also the technique? It's a mixture. I'd say if you're below a certain size, it's consistently not going to be. Sorry, people, uh, if you're one of these, but it's consistently not going to be um, the huge intrusive stars and explosions for me because you right. just don't hit deep enough to hit the prostate. It's just I think a mm-hmm. anatomy question more than anything. Yeah, but I think beyond that, you know, much smaller than average portion. Um, it's, I don't, I don't know what the factors are because it can be two guys of the exact same dick shape, size, mm-hmm. length, girth, and one feels like night and the other feels like day. Yeah, it really is. Amazing. I think it's the fun part about sex. Yeah. Is discovering that chemistry and that connection and what exactly makes those stars and explosions. Yeah. And you don't know who it's going to be. Right. This beautiful guy you were wanting so bad and you get into bed and all of a sudden it's just kind of like a blomp blomp. Yeah. Or some other guy and you're like, maybe just fell into, you know, you're at a sex party or something like that. And someone you normally wouldn't even think of fooling around in that energy is just electric between you and it's the best mind-blowing sex and you walk away and your legs are shaking and you go what the hell was that yes kiss me (laughs) that was incredible the other element i think here that's at play is one of expectation it's almost like when when you hear about a movie you haven't seen and somebody tells you how great it is and you have this like really high expectation that you see it and you're like "Eh." (laughs) yeah i don't know but then like Maybe you randomly go to the theater and step into a movie you think is just going to be okay, and then it's like way yeah. better than you expect, and you're Absolutely. like, "That was the best movie I've ever seen." Yeah. You know, so I feel like a lot of the times, yeah, if if there's a really sexy guy who you're really attracted to before you see naked and before you have sex with, and then he's just okay in yeah. bed, it can be a real letdown. Right. But maybe somebody, yeah, who's who you meet kind of catches you off guard and you're like oh yeah, yeah. this guy knows what he's doing oh. it's either being a physiological response to that too like mm-hmm. if i'm seeing you and i'm so nervous about having sex with you because you're so beautiful and desired you so bad my body might be physically tighter yeah and so it might actually be an experience something different not just because my mind but because my body has responded to my mind so all of a sudden that penetration or whatever doesn't feel as good yeah yeah you mentioned you were fascinated by john's evolution yeah. And the different steps he took 
before he really did the full menu yeah. of, of gay sex. Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And he's that he remembers so young. Like, I can't... You tried to tell me, like, one or two things I remember from being, like, five, six, seven years old, and it's just a bunch of vague, like, childhood happiness. I don't mm-hmm. have that many crisp experiences. And he remembered already being three years old and having an erection. It was kind of stunning. Yeah. But I'm also... He talked about that FOMO from... Um, Having another, knowing two other boys, um, had played around. Yeah. And it's weird because it triggers like FOMO and me current right now for his childhood because I didn't have any of that. I was so late exposed. None of my friends ever took out their dicks and played with each other. There was no hint of any kind of homo, uh, erotica, anything happening. Yeah. And I'm like, what a fun, innocent childhood exploration to, to like slowly build your way into the sexual world. I thought it was really kind of neat. Yeah. The, the grinding with the, the neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And mm. then his, his high school buddy that in the mm. camping trip, that poor innocent pillow. <laughs> I know that poor pillow. <laughs> the pillow should have a separate <laughs> credit in his life story. Uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, his, yeah, his, his experiences with his peer, in the camping trip um, was really sweet to me because, yeah. you know, when I came out, it was to myself and then I would experiment with look, strangers in a park while cruising. Like yeah. that was my history. And I longed for a peer, for somebody I knew who was a friend who I could like experiment with and feel comfortable with, Absolutely. you know, and, and the fact that he had that gives me FOMO, you yeah. know, like uh, I wish that I had had that same experience. And, well, I don't know if things ended okay with with that kid because he mentions dating the girl and having sex with her out right after that. And he must have obviously had some conflict about being gay because he said that once he'd started dating the girl, he was like, okay, I'm cured. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure that there was a lot of guilt, you know, predict- predictably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also he was mentioning how, you know, sex with a woman was actually better than some of the gay sex that he's had, yeah. you know? And it's amazing to me too. That's not something I hear a lot of. So it's fascinating to hear of, of someone I think of as being just gay mm. to discover they're in a different place on the spectrum than I am. Yeah. Like three years is it's a significant time. And one he remembers quite positively and not only the, 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 the sex, but the whole relationship and everything. Yeah. I think it's, it's beautiful and a cool layer to discover about a friend. Right. I dated women when I was in high school not very successfully. I got as far as trying to give head to a woman, oh. like trying to eat her out. And I literally like <laughs> got as far as unbuttoning her jeans <laughs> and looking at it. And I literally was like, Oh no. Really? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I successfully I didn't, did that. I, I didn't verbally say, Oh no, but <laughs> I, I thought it and I was like, Oh, we shouldn't do this. Also, oh. it was in the back of a car, oh. which is really corny. I wish I had a snapshot in time, like looking from her perspective of your little wild <laughs> eyes, like terrified as so you unsnap in that minute before you flee. <laughs> like, just, I want that snapshot in time. <laughs> I'm probably red right now just really? thinking about it. But uh, it was embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, I guess in that respect, we're both uh, gold star gays. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> John's point about coming of age into his sexuality during the height of the Abercrombie and Fitch era really resonates with me because, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, it was all about 
Marky Mark and and Calvin Klein ads and and Abercrombie and Fitch and, and the fact that body hair was just not tolerated in in sort of the popular culture at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I tried for years to shave my body. Really? Yeah, it was so painful. I'll never forget. Like I was living in New York at the time and. My boyfriend I was dating, we wanted to go to Fire Island, and I felt really obligated to, like, go get my back waxed. Wow. And it's I, so different from today. I know. And so I did it, and, of course, it irritated all the hair follicles, oh. so it looked like I had all this acne on my back, and I think it was, like, <laughs> worse than if it had yeah. just been hairy. Am I beautiful yet? Yeah. <laughs> and then now I'm just looking back at that, I'm like, why did I even bother? And it was so painful. You know, amazing. I think the human mind tends towards stress, anxiety, and insecurities. I think it's how we evolved. Is you you worry about things to survive back yeah. in time and humans, I mean tribes. And I think our, our brains have carried that through to today. And you will find something to be insecure about. Yeah. And it's really society sometimes hands it to us on a plate to build up what your exact insecurities will be. Yeah. Um, it is really fascinating. But I also think now with the internet there's enough diversity in communities and and images that are created for specific groups and and audiences mm-hmm. like there's bear porn i guess is what i'm saying oh yeah oh yeah totally <laughs> such a thing exists now yeah whereas like in the early stages of of media even in the late 80s early 90s there wasn't that much diversity and yeah. because of calvin klein and all of those m- Bruce Weber type yeah. images yeah. like that was what was popular and that was what was considered ideal and anyone who deviated from that was was outside of an acceptable sort of body image at the time it's a little less strict now well, it, the fact that John he has some empathy he's such a nice guy went from his perspective of his kind of body dysmorphia or insecurities and but translated to other people's he sees now on the flip side of the spectrum yeah that really speaks to me too because i'm i'm smooth and mm-hmm. i can't grow a beard to save my life and i do have such like severe beard jealousy i wouldn't say it's necessarily insecurity but i do know like damn a beard looks so sexy you can see like a better looking jawline just this masculinity i find so beautiful yeah and i am definitely very jealous uh, <laughs> of men that have uh beards and furry chests and all that but he's right you just have to accept it I mean, you can dwell on it but yeah your insecurities will eat you alive. You have other strengths. <laughs> <laughs> and he went into that to his like, kind of abusive relationship. And oh, right. that's amazing to me, too, because that's such a common story. Mm-hmm. Um, not his you know, specifics were ne- unique to him, but of people in your tendency to just accept abuse. And because be- of insecurity. Yeah, and it's always coming from this insecurity because you've been telling yourself this terrible narrative and beating up yourself silently in your mind for so many years, and someone else spoke that aloud to you for the first time and confirmed that terrible thing about you. Yeah, and it's just weird. It's almost affirming in a way for someone else to finally be speaking this insecure narrative we beat ourselves up with, and just to be drawn into that. Yeah, that being abused can be so attractive uh, mm-hmm. for people. It's, it's really this another human tendency that's just kind of fascinating because it's a confirmation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what he sa- said in the context in which he mentioned that. He mentioned being insecure about his body, and the, his partner at the time sort of exploited that insecurity yeah. and made him ins- more insecure about Absolutely. it. Yeah. And you kind of tie that directly into the whole not being Abercrombie and Fitch, mm-hmm. uh, not ANF, I think he said. Yeah. But that is amazing. The, the little lies and insecurities we tell ourselves. Don't believe them. 
Right. And don't believe it when other people tell you about them too. <laughs> right. Absolute <laughs> giant red flag. Yeah. When it feels good, don't indulge it for a second and protect yourself and get mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if I've ever been in that kind of situation personally. Yeah, I, I had I had a boyfriend in New York who was a nut job. He was bipolar. But he would he would definitely like criticize me in ways that were very laser focused on my insecurities oh damn yeah i'm trying to think of an example i've blocked out most of <laughs> That's probably the, the experience <laughs> but uh i think at the time i was extremely lonely mm-hmm. and i relied on him a lot for companionship and yep. friendship and yeah it took me a while to get enough courage to just be comfortable with being alone as compared mm. to being in a relationship. I think also I've I blocked out a lot of it because yeah. it was so painful at the time. Ugh. So I can't even remember. I do remember his name though. Yeah. <laughs> and I've I've tried looking him up online just out of curiosity because yeah. I'm like sort of got a little bit of a revenge <laughs> fantasy when it comes to how he's doing right now, but I've also just sort of been like, eh, it's in yeah. the past. I was very young. Yeah. I just moved to New York City, so I didn't really have a lot of network there yeah. to support me yeah. yeah that was definitely like in the first couple of years and yeah. i was just i wanted somebody to hang out with yeah that can be a very powerful absolutely longing for for queer people I to they realize that people who abuse they look for the ones who are mm-hmm. lonely and vulnerable and will yeah. take it because if you have a nice support network of friends and people who care about you they they won't make it very far yeah that's true oh. i read this book called a little life and it's Oh my god, I was an under I've never cried so hard for so long in a book. Don't ever read it. It's terrible. <laughs> but there's so much abuse and it goes so vivid into the details, physical, mm. emotional, sexual, everything. And it's like a group of friends. But I remember I was so hooked on that book and just obsessively reading it and just crying. Was it a gay story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was brutal. Mm. You know, the subject of abuse isn't one that's really brought up much in the queer community. We hear a lot about it in the Me Too era mm-hmm. in regards to women and abusive men, but we don't really talk about it much in the queer community. I did think it was fascinating that in John's whole narrative, um, there's a few little dark points sprinkled in there that were just honest of, you know, I felt like I was cured or there was this abusive relationship. Yeah. But really, like, the overwhelming positivity of him as a person and mm. through everything else he says, like, that's a false... A small footnote of something he's worked his way through in, in such a healthy way. And come through so much more healthy on the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's the big story of of struggling with our insecurities and pains and traumas of being able to transform them in a healthy way and come out and enrich those around you and be that great top mm-hmm. who's changing people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He seems like such a great person to be the the guide. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was a, literally a total top before him. And it was funny because it was my New Year's Eve goal. I went to a cabin with a bunch of friends. We were on the Pacific Coast in some cabin, like, right by the seagrass. And we all had to make goals for our New Year's. Mm-hmm. And mine was to bottom and to, to learn to enjoy bottoming. <laughs> and I remember the next year we were back at that cabin and we were reviewing our goals. And they were like, they all turned to me like, 
we have never seen someone be so successful <laughs> with their goal <laughs> as you in the last year. And that's a shout out to John. <laughs> he was like, I'll take care of you. Yeah. <laughs> little gay Sherpa. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Thank uh, you. It's been great. Yeah. I love your insights and um, I'm excited to share this with the world. Yeah. Um, and that's it for this episode of Fruit Bowl. Uh, join us next time. Well, it was inevitable. Due to quote-unquote community standards, Facebook and Instagram have made it nearly impossible for us to promote Fruit Bowl via official pages and paid posts, most likely because our podcast is for mature audiences. Thanks, Mark Fuckerberg. So we have to rely more on word of mouth. If you're enjoying Fruit Bowl, please tell a friend and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This really helps our program get recommended more. Other platforms that are more welcoming to our sexy content include Twitter and Patreon, where for a small monthly subscription fee, you can hear podcasts before they're posted publicly, along with exclusive outtakes from interviews and co-hosting sessions. I also post behind-the-scenes photos and production journals from places like San Francisco and New York City. This winter, I'm planning on visiting Los Angeles and possibly Austin, Texas. So if you or anyone you know of might be interested in being interviewed in places like L.A. or Austin, please reach out to me via Twitter or our email portal at fruitbowlpodcast.com and let me know if you'd like to arrange an interview. Soon we'll be wrapping up Season 1 and jumping right into Season 2, which will feature an expanded list of questions that go into even more detail and cover a wider range of subjects from an even more diverse group of interviewees, including, drumroll please, our first lesbian interview. So I hope you'll come along on our journey. And once again, thank you so much for listening. This has been a Fruit Bowl production. All rights reserved. For more information, please visit fruitbowlpodcast.com. <laughs>